Welcome to Parenthood Pals. I'm Caleb Hoyer. I'm Melissa Fight Johnson. Pals, we have <laughs> made it to the end of one of the longest seasons of the show. It's true. It's true. It's as long as season two, right? Correct. 22 episodes. It took us a lot longer because Caleb and I were just talking off mic about, you know, when we started this thing, we had nothing going on. It was the pandemic project. Yes. And now it's just, it's harder to find time, but we're still loving the fact that we do this and we want to make the time. But yeah, we have like full lives again. So yeah. Yeah. And we were very spotty (laughs) season five. If you were watching along with us in real time. I just say thank you and I'm sorry (laughs) at the rhythm of it. But hopefully most people will be discovering this a little bit after we've recorded it and they won't be impeded by our hiccups. That's right. Yeah. They'll be like, press, you know, press the next one and just keep going. They'll be having a conversation with us from the future. We're we're reaching them from the past. Yeah. Whoa. Saying things we may not even believe anymore. (laughs) Listeners. What's 20 through 30 like, you know, what's, what's happening? It's like, what's going on? That's true. We might not agree with ourselves anymore. That's a weird thing. Do you think that we'll like ever listen to this podcast back and like completely cringe at thoughts that we had? I'm almost certain there'll be something. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I don't know what it is, mm -mm. but it's going to happen. This is, we're always evolving. We're always changing. That's true. Yeah. I mean, I liked Hank the first time around. Yeah, that's true. Not that I don't like him, but we'll get to it. We'll get to it. We'll get to it. Yeah. Um, Not to be totally corny, but, you know, something that hasn't changed, (laughs) truly. I mean, I've been friends with you since I was 11 years old, I think. That's true. Yeah. So that hasn't changed. I've always loved Caleb. (laughs) Oh, and Caleb's always loved Melissa. Oh, I do love that. (laughs) Well, let's get to it. Yes. Parenthood Season 5, Episode 22, The Pontiac. It was written by Jason Kadams, directed by Lawrence Trilling. It originally aired on April 17th, 2014. And here's the TV Guide synopsis. The fifth season ends with Adam and Crosby reminiscing over childhood memories. Meanwhile, Amber and Ryan reunite. Sarah <laughs> responds to Hank's request. Victor triumphs over his fears. Zeke gives Victor a driving lesson. Wait, what? What? I I didn't read this. (laughs) (laughs) And Drew pursues his bliss. All right. Okay, driving lesson. We didn't see that. No. He gave him a waxing the car lesson. (laughs) Anyway, well, that's exactly where I want to start is with the Victor storyline. And this brief little clip that just made me so happy for two reasons. Victor, I just got a message from Miss McKindo. What did I do this time? Am I getting sent back to third grade? Did you enter an essay contest at school? Why? Because your essay came in first place for the entire school. Really? I won? You won! You won! Hey! Yeah! That's cool. I mean, you get to read it aloud. In front of who? The whole school, everyone, at, at Wednesday Assembly. No, I'm not reading that stupid essay in front of everybody. You're going to be great. Can... Okay. You are going to be great. <laughs> oh, oh, I'm just... Oh, I'm so happy. So the first thing that made me happy was his self-deprecating humor. <laughs> when he said, when they're getting held back to the third grade. And I thought, 
That's, first of all, it's funny. Yes. Secondly, I think it really is a sign that he has made some kind of peace with that transition, that he can make the joke. Yeah, it may be like a proactive defense mechanism. Yeah. Don't make me feel stupid. I'll admit I'm stupid first. Right. But I think it's a sign of progress. Yeah. And then I just also, of course, loved that he won the essay contest when he had had such struggles with reading. And I love that. I did have a question for you about it, though. Yeah. How do you feel about academics being turned into contests? Ooh. Is it always bad or is it ever worthwhile to provide an incentive to students that might otherwise be unmotivated? That is a great question. You know, I I didn't even think about that. I only thought about if it was realistic that Victor would have made so much progress in such a relatively short time. But that's a great question. And I think, I think if handled right, I think it can be okay. You know, so many other things are a competition, like sports or art. So I, I think that if someone, especially if people could choose to enter the essay contest but I don't know how that worked I don't know if everyone automatically entered it doesn't seem like something Victor would choose to do but maybe yeah this didn't seem like it was presented as a contest it's I I don't know this for sure but it seemed like it was an assignment everyone had to do and then someone was just chosen wow as like oh this is the best one man so it wasn't like everyone enter this essay contest yeah well what do you think do you think that that's okay I think I agree that like It shouldn't be everything and it shouldn't be all the time. But for some people, it is very motivating. And I feel like I've heard somewhere that it especially helps boys. Hmm. Boys are competitive and really like that as an incentive. Yeah. And girls kind of don't care. Interesting. So I'm like, well, if it helps young boys write or do math or whatever. Yeah. Okay, let's let's try and meet them where they are a little bit. I, ca- I love that. turning everything into a competition. Yes. Because especially it's like, well, you should learn how to write because it's going to enrich your life. Yeah. Not to be better at it than everyone else. Yeah. Well, and, you know, it's also interesting. We're seeing this filtered through the perspective of someone who's not had a lot of success academically win. So I think all I could see in that moment was how wonderful this was. But yeah. I'm thinking like, oh, it's probably more likely that in real life, it would be the same kid who won every fucking year. And Victor would just be like, you know, that guy is a great writer. I got held back. You know, like, he'd just feel bad about himself. And I feel like that's maybe the trouble with having contests like that, is it might make some people feel like they've never got a shot and, and, you know, make, make them feel even worse about themselves. And of course, we're seeing the total opposite, where a kid who really struggled, wow, he gets to have this awesome moment. And so it... When you just say now that he got held back it does make me think he probably wouldn't have won the essay contest in fifth grade no probably not like he he would have been behind everyone still so maybe it's a silver lining of him getting held back like now you're really amongst people who are at the same level as you and maybe you're even a little bit ahead of them in some ways yeah i do think it was probably for that exact reason that they ended the season with that because it was such a contentious debate on whether or not he should have been held back. And he, we, we saw him struggle so much this whole season. And so it was really lovely to end on this hopeful, victorious note. And, you know, my favorite thing about that storyline was 
I was a little nervous when he started to read the essay because I'm like, oh, now we hear the essay that won. And I often think shows get that wrong. Like I was kind of expecting a schmaltzy, not very good essay. And I thought it was fantastic. One day I got in trouble for fighting with my sister because she's a freak. And as a punishment, my mom made me help my grandpa fixing up the Pontiac. But it turned out to not be a punishment. It turned out to be just about the best thing that's ever happened to me. I learned all about cars when cars were still cars, as my grandpa would say. I got to hear so many stories from my grandpa about Vietnam and how the Oakland A's screwed up their chances to become the best team in history. <laughs> and he also taught me the five strategies guaranteed to get a girl to say yes to a date. <laughs> we're almost finished with the Pontiac now. It looks beautiful, like the prettiest girl at the prom, my grandpa would say. I know it should really make me happy and proud of what we've accomplished, but the truth is, makes me kind of sad because that car has taken a really hard year for me and made it pretty decent. I guess the good news is Grandpa's got an eye on a 68 Mustang he guarantees will do nothing less than rock my world. And I can't wait. <laughs> yeah, I wrote, if you didn't smile or tear up at Victor's essay, you don't have a soul. <laughs> That's totally true. I thought they balanced it being good with it being believably written by a fourth grader. Agreed. And it was so funny. Oh, and it was like great the way he worked in his grandfather's sayings. And I thought that yeah. really helped both add humor, but also make it feel very real. Because I'm like, oh, yeah, that's what makes this so good. I mean, I'm always trying to teach my students that the best way to write is to write something that only you could write, not not anyone else. And so, yeah, he's doing exactly that, writing about working on the car with his grandfather and all his grandfather's sayings. Like, it has such voice. And yeah, yeah I just thought, this is great. I was so relieved, actually. <laughs> like, I was worried, like, oh, no, we all heard Jim read that poem back in season one. We <laughs> so know what writing can look like, or Sarah's play. Like, they don't always yeah. nail it. <laughs> so they nailed a fourth grader's speech, you know, or essay. And it was so, the content of it, I can so see that that would make teachers or administrators or whoever chose this yeah. pick that. Yeah. Like that they would know, oh, this kid has struggled. And he wrote an essay about his hard year and what made it better. And it's like very heartfelt. And yes. It reminds me of when, so when I was in elementary school in Pittsburgh, Kansas, we had this contest called Young Authors Conference. Oh. That. Yeah, where elementary school students would write books and then some would be selected to go to the Young Authors Conference where there would be a visiting author. And I forget what we did there, but it was like a big honor and a big deal to be selected. And in first grade, I got selected to go and I had written an alphabet book. <laughs> and it was like A is for Aardvark or I don't know. It was and I went through every letter in second grade. I was really into Goosebumps, and so I wrote a total Goosebumps knockoff called I Didn't Mean to Murder You. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't remember the plot, but I do remember it made, like, no sense. <laughs> and I didn't get selected to go oh, Young no. Authors. And then I remember as a third grader thinking, I got to play to my audience. They don't want horror no. they want sappy heartfelt yeah and so i wrote a book called the very best friend of all about a girl who builds a snowman who comes to life and they become friends i went to young authors conference <laughs> fourth grade i wrote a book called the littlest angel about 
a <laughs> tiny angel who's unpopular in heaven, but then she goes down to earth <laughs> and helps a family avoid divorce. Oh, wow. And it like earns her status and she becomes accepted in heaven. I just really play in the schmaltz. My last year, I wrote what I re- remember as a legitimately inventive story called The Garage Gang, Journey to the Great Inside, <laughs> about the like tools and things that live in a garage being alive and their owners get an automatic garage door opener and they view it as a threat because now they don't have as much time to get back to their hiding places and pretend to be inanimate objects. So they go on a quest inside to find the garage door opener and destroy it. That's fun. Yeah, that wasn't as schmaltzy. But anyway, I was definitely playing to an audience. And I don't think Victor was, but it was the type of essay that would warm hearts and win accolades. It would. I don't remember every year that I went to Young Authors, but I remember... In fourth grade, I wrote a book called Girl and Boy's Clothing, and it was basically a story of the star football player was a girl. You know, she took off her helmet and her, like, hair spilled out. But I remember that, like, boys in the class had to help me because I, like, she got a touchdown and I only made it go up one point. And someone's like, that's six points. (laughs) And I'm like, (laughs) oh, so I had to change the scoreboard. Yeah. While we're talking about, like, elementary writing, I just want to say that my best story ever, I wrote a whole series of, of stories and books about a girl named Tiffany Hunter. That was the coolest name I could possibly think of. And all her adventures, one of which was that her little sister Stephanie was kidnapped by a man named Bill Murray, but I just spelled it like Bill Murray. (laughs) And I didn't know who that was. And my mom laughed. She was like, Bill Murray kidnaps this girl. I'm like, it's Bill Murray. (laughs) (laughs) but my my classmates were so excited every time we like wrote and i would go up to the front and i would share my my stories and they were like the latest tiffany hunter adventure that's right it was like some of my happiest memories from elementary school and you know i just the way that victor read the story like read his essay it was so good and that was the only part that that made me wonder like how realistic is this? I should have asked Mark, like, you know, how, how much progress can an elementary kid make in a year? Like, I mean, we heard him read the manual with his grandfather, but maybe it also helped yeah. that he had written it and he knew what the words were and yeah, I'm sure he, he practiced. Practice. Yeah. Yeah. But still, it was very impressive. Very impressive. And he looked... Considering looked, where he started. Yeah. And he looked so happy. It was, it was wonderful. I loved that storyline. Yeah. Yeah. And, of course, it brought Joel and Julia together in a what I thought ultimately was a very vague way. Yeah. But nice. Yeah. And if this was the series finale, it would be enough to make you think, okay, there's a road back for them, perhaps. I think that's exactly what they were doing. It really reminded me of Crosby Jasmine at the end of, what, season two? Like, they're not back together, but... They've reached a good place and you could, if, if you wanted to imagine in your head that they get back together, you totally could. Yeah. And yeah. so I'm like, that's, that's just well played. It's pretty smart. I was still sad at the final dinner that Joel wasn't there. Yeah. So I'm like, well, that would really solidify it. Yeah. But I guess if they were thinking, well, maybe we will get another season and maybe we don't want them to get back together. We just want them to be civil. Yeah. Then yeah, he probably wouldn't go to the huge family dinner. 
also, if they come back for a season, I mean, no spoilers here, but I'm remembering what happened with season three with Crosby and Jasmine. They're not back together at the beginning of the season. And it's really interesting to watch that play out. And I imagine that even if they do want to get Julia and Joel together, they don't want to just start season six and they are like, you know, like that, that, that just, I imagine that they'd be like, Oh, that's no, like, why would we do that? And so I'm just saying, I want to acclaim Savannah page Ray as I so often do. Cause I know people call Sydney a brat and for good reason, but gosh, that scene where she's begging Joel to stay. How can your heart not break for her? I mean, she's a child yeah. And then and I truly forget in that moment that she's an actress. Yeah. <laughs> just pretending to be torn up about her family. It feels so real and I'm amazed that anyone can do that let alone children. Yeah. She's just awesome. She's fantastic. I agree. It was very realistic and you know, I thought it was a really interesting choice like Victor got his moment in the episode with the essay and, you know, just feeling so proud and and his parents talking about him in the frozen yogurt place or whatever, you know, just like bragging on him. And then he goes up to bed and then the rest of their storyline is a little bit of a return to when they were a family of three. And I thought they did that very Mm. respectfully because they gave Victor his moment and it's only because that's when she happened to beg because that's when he was going to go home and everything. And so I didn't think it was like disrespectful to Victor, but I did think it was like an interesting just callback maybe to when things were easier in their lives, you know, and, and them tucking Sydney in. And actually, did you notice that Julia was tucked in too? I did. I thought that was a really cute touch. I don't know. I really liked that. And maybe I'm reading too much into it, but I thought it also very nicely explained to the viewer one of these people is staying here and one of these people is going to leave. Yeah. So it's like, even though Joel stayed to put her into bed, he's not going to spend the night. I agree. He will leave and go home and Julia is in for the night. Yeah. Maybe not sleeping in her bed the whole night, but. You're right though. That's like a good visual cue, I think. Yeah. I do like that. And it was a very sweet scene and I wasn't sure what to make of that because, you know, they did that whole dramatic thing where he's just telling the story about the the, the the guy, you know, giving her the drugs when she's giving birth. But the way he says, I love you to her. I mean, yeah. we're supposed to think that he's telling Julia he loves her. But that was just very cleverly done because it really, yeah, like you said, vague. It could go either way, you know, like. Yeah. Yeah. And the whole storyline, I thought, felt like just a way to remind Joel. I kind of have a problem with this because it sort of makes it feel like, well, the impediment here is. Joel needs to get over what he's upset about. But it felt like it was a whole bunch of reminders to Joel of just how deep his connections in this family run. Like the essay was all about Victor's relationship with Julia's father. Yeah. And of course that meant a lot to Joel to hear it and to know that they tried so hard to integrate Victor into the family and, Look, it worked. I mean, he's talking about his grandpa. Yeah. Then going to the yogurt place as a family and they're all together. And it's like, that's what you'd be giving up, Joel. And then you tell these stories to Sydney of before she was even born. Yeah. You have all this history with Julia and with Zeke and with all the other Bravermans. And to extricate yourself from that is going to be a huge amount of work on its own. 
Yeah. Which I'm sure he knows, but to just be confronted with it, especially in a moment when everything is going kind of peacefully yeah. and good, it would be so tempting, I would think. Like, oh, no, I, I'm not going to leave. I can manage yeah. until she disrespects you again. And, uh, <laughs> you know. And, yeah. No, that's, I mean, it must be so hard because in a moment like that or a day like they just had, he probably wants nothing more than to just be like, forget it and go home. Yeah. But I bet he's worried that like, well, I, that's what I've always done. And then it always comes back to a place where I'm resentful, you know? Yeah. And yeah, so I, I do. I think that's, that's really tricky because you're right. It could just seem like, yeah, if Joel just gets over it, then it's like this all the time. But it's not like this all the time. Yeah, and has and has Julia learned anything? I'm still not sure. I don't think we've seen her learn much. I don't think we have either. I I do mostly think that this storyline was really interesting and and well done. But I think there were some real missed opportunities, and I think that's really one of them. Like I think it would have been really interesting for her to confront some things about herself. And I'm not saying that Joel doesn't need to do the same. But I really think that that's kind of what he was doing, is realizing I'm kind of tired of being pushed around. I'm kind of tired of being taken for granted. So I think he was figuring out some things. And I don't think she was. And, you know, I'm making it sound like it's all stuff that was her fault. He probably realized I have to take a stand sometimes. I have to stand up for myself. I have to say something instead of just let these moments go by. They will pile up, um, you know, so I think he was... Even the story he tells Sydney is about him standing up to people. I mean, it, yeah, it's clearly something... And, you know, we saw it... Is it season two? Like one of the earliest episodes of season two when he's repairing the roof with Zeke and he stands up to Zeke. And, yeah. I mean, this is a theme. Yeah, Joel is is kind of weak. Yeah. And I mean, he has a quiet strength, but that is something he has to work on. Yeah, absolutely. Don't let Julia push you around. She does it because she can. Yeah. And you always let her. Yeah. That's not to blame him, but. And he lets her. That's a factor. Because he loves her and she's charming. Yeah. And because of moments like this where you're like lulled into a false sense of, you know, comfort. Oh, everything's fine if I could just get past it. And yeah, but then nothing changes. And if she had really changed stuff about herself then I would be much more impatient for Joel to get over it. Come on, Joel, recognize her progress. But she hasn't made any progress. So the show sending these messages of like, now if Joel could just find his way back to fight for them. Like, no, but why? Nothing changed. (laughs) Nothing changed. I feel like we saw Crosby change. She didn't buy him a house or anything. Right. We saw, I mean, that was misguided, (laughs) but something. I mean, I thought Crosby's biggest change was like, realizing that Jasmine should be like with Dr. Joe instead of him. And, you know, then that's actually what worked because he sort of gave her up. Not that he owned her. I don't deserve you. You're right. Let's get married. (laughs) Yeah. Whatever. (laughs) Yeah. But like in this case, I'm just like, you know, when Crosby shows more growth than you do, that's something. That's something. I had a small note about, um, Joel's story where he says that Zeke called him Sonny for the first time, just like he does his own sons. And I'm like, boy, I remember in the pilot that Zeke calls Adam Sonny. And I'm like, he never keeps that up. And I was very wrong about that. He keeps it up the entire (laughs) series. And even (laughs) Joel mentions that as a thing. So um, yeah, I'm just correcting myself years later. Uh, So there's that. You mentioned Jasmine and Crosby. What do you think of Jasmine in this episode? 
Oh, wait, she had no lines. No. <laughs> I wrote that down. I wrote, if this had been the series finale, boy, was Jasmine ripped off. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone gets a special moment, but she doesn't. Yeah. Let's shift to Amber and Ryan. Okay. This episode features Annabeth Gish as Ryan's mother in a role that I'm still kind of wondering why she even needed to be in it. Not Annabeth Gish, but like Ryan's mother at all. Yeah. I wasn't quite sure what purpose the character served. The first note I took was just that the exposition on this show sometimes feels like it doesn't think the audience is very smart. I was like, would Ryan's mom say, I'm your mom? Or did you forget? (laughs) Maybe she would. It just felt like we totally would have inferred who she was, especially when her next line to Amber is, how do you know my son? Right. Like that makes more (laughs) sense. We're going to get it. Or why doesn't he just say, whoa, mom, I have, you know, like, I mean, that that would do it. There's so many more natural ways to do it. In my notes, I wrote down so torn, love Annabeth Gish hate Ryan's mother. Like, so yeah. I t- did not know what to do. I'm basing my love for her off of one movie, and that movie is Mystic Pizza. Annabeth Gish is actually the main character. People remember Julia Roberts because, of course, she went on to be Julia Roberts. Um, and then Lily Taylor is the other one. And I'd say probably both of them are more famous than Annabeth Gish, but she was the main character, and she, like, fell in love with an older married man. And... It was so ill-advised, <laughs> but you just, <laughs> you just rooted for her anyway. Like she was a sweetheart and, and just like real naive, but very smart. And, you know, uh, it's a beautiful movie. I love that movie. And so, and I just was like, wow, Annabeth Gish looks fantastic. I mean, I thought she looked amazing. <laughs> this was like decades after Mystic Pizza. Of course, Julia Roberts also still looks very good. Okay, whatever. Um, but yeah, as far as her performance in this, I was like, so she comes on and we're supposed to hate her and she's taking Ryan away. I guess that's her point. That's, is that? I guess. I mean, like my note on this following scene was what was going on here? Oh, well, if it isn't Mrs. York, have a seat. You know, um, when I showed up at the hospital, they wouldn't let me see him unless I was family. So it's the only reason I said that. That's why I said I was his wife. I just wanted to clear that up with okay. you. Okay, okay, thank you. I, can I get you something? Yeah, can I just have coffee to go, please? I would love another one, please, thank you. I'm gonna need to ask you to put that out. We don't allow smoking. California. Mm-hmm. Why are you still here? Just hanging around the hotel? Uh, no, I'm here while Ryan's in the hospital. I'm gonna, I'm gonna stick it out. You know, I'm signing him out on Friday, right? I'm taking him home to Wyoming. Okay, well, I... I just want to talk to him, you know, make sure that's what he wants. Why does everybody want to talk to you? All these doctors and nurses, they want to talk to you. I'm his mother, okay? You're not even his girlfriend. So why don't you let me take care of his affairs from now on? Okay, yeah, I just... Just really want to make sure that his opinion doesn't get lost in all this, too. You know what I mean? Uh, well, he doesn't have a lot of options, does he? He's been discharged from the army. Um, I'm sorry, what? You didn't know? (laughs) 
He doesn't have a pot to piss in, honey. She's like Cruella de Vil. <laughs> She's like smoking in a hospital. She's yeah. just drunk. It's just <laughs> everything they can do to make us know that this, she's no good. Like, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I realized about 15 seconds after playing that clip, what I didn't realize after two viewings of this episode, the mom is there to entice Amber to make Ryan her problem to fix. Oh. Like, oh, I can't abandon him because he's going to go off with this horrible woman. Mm-hmm. I need good. to save him. And my favorite thing in the scene that Amber had with Ryan was when he told her it wasn't her problem to fix. Yeah. Ryan, (laughs) your mom told me that you're going to go back to Wyoming with her. Is that true? Yeah. Uh, Help me understand, because everything that you've ever told me about that place is that you hate it and you never want to go back. And is that really what you want? It's, uh, I don't have any other options. But. No, 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 no. No, no, come here. Come here. This isn't for you to fix, okay? All right? I gotta do this. Okay, it's not for you. Okay? Yeah, that is beautiful, especially after everything we've seen. The codependency, yeah. Yeah, it felt like profound to me because suddenly I was placing Amber and Ryan in like a generational context because we've talked about Sarah thinking that fixing broken people is love and that Amber almost fell into that same trap with Ryan the whole first half of this season. And now he comes back and it's like, uh Oh, she's going to do it again. Isn't she? But Ryan somehow has the presence of mind to intervene and say, don't do that. Don't follow that instinct. I have to do it myself, which I think he's totally right about. And I think that was his struggle earlier this season I think he thought she could fix him. Yeah. Wow. And now he knows he has to do it himself. And that felt so hopeful to me, like a cycle was going to be halted and mistakes weren't going to be repeated. And then something you just said earlier tonight about like Crosby letting Jasmine go was the thing that brought her back. Yeah. This almost feels like that. I mean, I don't know if they're... I do know, but I'm not going to (laughs) say. I don't know if that's where this is going. I don't think that necessarily is where that always goes. But it is something I think Ryan needed to realize. Like, your problems are things you have to fix on your own. And if it's her responsibility, that's not the way to be united. Yeah. Well, and it at least did bring her back for sex in the hospital bed. So, (laughs) inexplicably... When it pans back and you see there's not like even a door, it's just the curtain. I'm like, what? I mean, I, I knew this happened. I remembered that it happened. And yet I was just like, who does? I mean, maybe everyone yeah. has sex in the hospital bed when one person is like 
totally banged up. <laughs> I just thought that I just in no way thought that would ever happen. I remembered this too, but I remembered it incorrectly. I had a very clear image in my mind of her straddling him. Oh, and like wow. that we saw it happen. And that didn't happen. And I'm glad. <laughs> but I thought, how strange that I remembered that so incorrectly. What I didn't remember is that while they're making out, he's like sobbing through it. Yeah. It was very not sexy. And I don't think it was meant to be like erotic. No. But it really, I was uncomfortable with how long it was lingering on them. Yeah. And I had the same awkward feeling like, are they going to have full on intercourse in the hospital room? <laughs> and, I, and I wrote down, like, I'm sure it has happened before. I'm sure. I just can't even imagine doing that. I know, me neither. But everyone is now listening to us being like, oh, Caleb and Melissa, such prudes. Everyone has sex in the <laughs> hospital. They've never had sex in the hospital bed? <laughs> I don't know. I'm just like thinking back to the time I was like in a hospital the longest. It was when I broke my leg. I was 17 and a virgin. So obviously no sex, but, but I mean, I'm just like thinking about how much pain I was in and I had to get up for physical therapy all the time and everything. I mean, Ryan's face looks bad. Like I just, and he's sobbing yeah. the whole time. It just felt like it would make a lot more sense if they just held each other and maybe even kissed a little, but like, it just feels like such a leap. And okay. So here's my quibble. It feels like the entire reason that they have sex is so that we get that scene at the end where she's buying the pregnancy test. Obviously. Obviously. Yeah. Cause otherwise I think it's ludicrous. Like I, I, and so I'm like, okay, so you just justify whatever it takes to get to that scene. I have a quibble about that too, because I was like, wait, how long ago did they have sex in the hospital bed? Like how much time has passed? I've never been pregnant. I don't, I, you know, don't have kids. I don't know how long you're late before you go buy the pregnancy test, but like Zeke and Camille haven't moved out of their house yet. Cause then it flashes yeah. back. And I was like, I thought they, and in that same montage, like Drew drives to Portland. Yeah. I don't yeah. think it took him two weeks. Did, yeah, that's that was what was blowing my mind. I'm like, maybe so it was like, Portland, Maine. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like, so later that day, like you have sex with Ryan, and then that night you go get a pregnancy test. Also, though, there was weird stuff happening with the whole thing because isn't he still in San Diego in the hospital? And at one point, Sarah's like, Hank, I gotta go run and get her some underwear and stuff, and I'm like. You're going to drive like seven hours to go get her some oh, underwear? Oh, I thought she meant she was going to go buy her some underwear. That makes more sense. Okay. Because I was like, what? Because they were away from home. Okay. All right. Good. Because everything, I was like, I don't understand anything anymore. I don't know. Yeah. And I normally just let all that shit go, but it was like distracting almost. Well, and there was some stuff. I mean, this episode aired on April 17th, but they were clearly talking about the summer. Like, okay, they're futzing with their own timeline a little bit. Yeah. Like they flashed forward a bit, haven't they? And okay, good point. Did you notice that when Amber and Ryan said goodbye, their last words to each other were, buddy? Yes, and they like said it all, bye, buddy, or something. Yeah, like. and I was like, they had to be aware <laughs> and in on the joke yes. of Buddy running through this whole series. Yes, they had to. But it was actually very sweet, I thought. I'm like... Oh, yeah. I'm like, that is... 
a really lovely pet name for a partner is buddy. Like no one yeah. uses that. People say like babe or hun or something more grown up. And maybe they don't use it because you call kids buddy, or at least all these Braverman people do. <laughs> like it's nonstop buddy. But it was like really sweet. I don't know. It's an endearing. It's playful and not sexy. Yeah. yeah. Well, their tryst in the hospital bed did not only catch our eyes. Bill O'Reilly was is him again. <laughs> <laughs> so at an ATX festival after the season five finale, there was a parenthood panel with Jason Kadams, Ray Romano, Peter Krause, and Lauren Graham. There's a hum in this clip. Let me just apologize in advance. Is, uh, can you give away anything? Is Amber pregnant? Is she? <laughs> and, and and how did that happen? <laughs> <laughs> If anything, the heart thing would have went off, right? The beep beep. Also, I would like to know how we didn't get in an accident because I hardly looked at the road. I was like, I swear to God, there was a lot more of me looking at the road, but every all the cuts are like, what? I don't know. That was really appalling. I'm sorry to everybody. I'm glad Sarah mentioned that she didn't look at the... Sarah. Lauren Graham. (laughs) I'm just so... Convinced. I just so see her as Sarah. Yeah. (laughs) I'm glad she mentioned that she hardly looked at the road in their scene because I really did notice it. It's like, oh, she's just not looking at all. She's just turning full profile for several seconds on end. It's funny. I feel like I usually notice that, but I didn't this time. And sometimes when I drive... I'll try and be like, how long could I look at the passenger seat before I scare myself thinking about like, if I were at a TV show (laughs) right now and I like, I, I can't even like hit like one full second. I get really, and I'm glad that's a really bad thing that I should even (laughs) trying to not look at the road. Wouldn't it be terrible if you got into an accident? Just like, I wonder how long. (laughs) (laughs) That's terrible. Oh, all well, right. Sarah and Hank yeah. were kind of dovetailed on that Amber Ryan storyline. And the conversation that she was having in that scene, I actually really liked. I think we should talk about the big tomato that's in the room. Whatever we're together now for the last couple of weeks. The tomato? Yeah, the, you know, the, that's the expression, the big tomato in the room. Do you mean the elephant in the room? I don't, but is that, is that, what, I should, is that what it should be? <laughs> Yes, I'm sorry. The tomato in the room. Yeah, I just got to know where you're at. That's all. You know, I kind of opened up. Mm-hmm. And it, that was, wasn't was easy. I know. It's hard for me. You know, I know. It's about as hard as it gets for me. I mean, I just thought you wanted to give it another shot because um, I'm prepared for anything. I just, I just kind of need to know. I really have been thinking about it, and it, it just seems complicated, you know, because... We've been doing really well, just working together. And I know it's not right to say, but the Asperger's thing, it worries me. Sometimes you don't, you can't look at me. I look at you. But it's hard for you. And I'm a communicator and I need that. And I know you're working on it and I appreciate that so much. Because it wouldn't be a small thing, you know, to try again, it would be a big thing and... Yeah, I get it. Yeah, but I don't know, I mean, I don't know, you know, unless we we would try and then we risk all that. 
You know what I mean? I think so. <laughs> huh. You're going under the speed limit. You, oh. you need a ticket for that, too. <laughs> it's not even paying yeah. attention. I just really loved how unromantic mm. that conversation was. It felt very adult to me. Yeah. And sometimes, especially with Sarah's love life, I feel like they're trying to use her as their one chance to get some like rom-com into the series. Yeah. But it sometimes makes her feel juvenile. And I think she's in her 40s. Yeah. And she's a smart woman. I don't think she'd just be giggling and flirting yeah. and bickering with Carl over the condom in the toilet. And, you know, yeah. like <laughs> she would have a conversation with this on again, off again. Maybe that's not the right word, but you know that. Yeah. She would deliberate about should we enter into this again or not in a very clear headed way. And I thought everything she said was tactful, but honest. It all made sense. I really liked how she said that she was a communicator. Mm -hmm. To me, it felt like it softened what could be a very harsh sentiment, which is you can't look at me and you don't communicate the way I do. And that's tough for me. Because it made it more about her. Like, this is just something that's very important to me. And it feels very consistent with what we've seen from her yeah. through the whole series. She is a communicator. She talks a mile a minute. She is a writer. Like, that's how she connects with people. Yeah. It would be even harder for her than someone else. You know, if Joel could, <laughs> if someone <laughs> like Joel were with Hank, that would be easier. I yeah, think. yeah. Someone who's quiet and meek and a little more to themselves. That's not Sarah. I, yeah, I just thought it was all great and intelligent and honest. That'd be like if Hank ended up with Bernie, the guy who used to work for him, and he was like, Sarah, <laughs> why can't you be more like Bernie? <laughs> I never knew anything about him. <laughs> That's the kind of relationship he might have had if not for Sarah. Um, no, I, I agree. I ultimately really liked them in this episode. And this was kind of more what I remembered the Hank and Sarah dynamic being like from the past until we did this rewatch and we uncovered all this troubling shit. <laughs> I was like, oh no. <laughs> but here, like in a bubble, like out of context, I, I don't think they're troubled at all. Like I thought this was a really nice story. And I don't know if I'd articulated it the same way that you did, but yeah, you're right. I think, I think the fact that it is very adult, it reminds me a little of, um, the end of Pride and Prejudice, the book, which is very different from the end of Pride and Prejudice, the like Kiara Knightley version. Have you ever seen the Kiara Knightley version? Uh -uh. Okay. Well, you know, spoil Nor have I read Pride and Prejudice, but I should. Well, I, I don't know. I, I love it, but. Well, I love reading and the world agrees. It's <laughs> the, one of the good ones. It, it is. It is so Jury's great. in. Jury's in. Yes. <laughs> and, you know, spoiler alert for Pride and Prejudice. Um, <laughs> but, you know, Elizabeth and Darcy are one of the most famous couples ever. But it's interesting, like in the film version, it's like a very sweeping romantic scene where they end up together. And I think it's because it's what modern audiences like demand, you know. But in the book, it's like this very thoughtful, long conversation where they talk about where they both went wrong. Like, well, I was mistaken on this and uh, you must have thought I was such a fool. And, and, and it's just like pages and pages of discussion about, boy, I missed the boat there. And, you know, and, and I love it. And 
I've used the word adult for that before. And sometimes my students are disappointed. They're like, what is this? Like, like why aren't they making out in the rain? You know, like, and I'm like, I don't know. Don't you think that it means that they're really ready to, you know, for some, they don't know they're in a romance novel. I don't like they, they just think they're people and they're having this very adult conversation. I think they're going to make it, not just make it because everyone who married back then stayed married, but most of them were miserable. That was Jane Austen's whole thing. But I think they're going to be happy. Anyway, so I wonder if well, maybe, I think yeah. that's a symptom of so many romantic movies and books and things that we read being about people getting together yeah, as opposed to people in relationships. Yeah. Because when you're getting together, so much of the interaction between you is like trying to read cues and not give away more than you maybe want to give away at that moment. So you're always kind of trying to be coy, but also get your point across, but not across so much that you couldn't pretend to take it back. You know, it's all that kind of like pretending step pretense. Yeah. And Sarah and Hank are so far past that that it's like, yeah, I know at one point we were in love or or something like that. Yeah. We've slept together. We've been in a romantic relationship together. I left my fiance for you. We have history. Yeah. We can talk about whether or not we should get back together without spending all this time thinking about what message we're sending to the other person. Yeah. Let's just discuss it. It wouldn't be a small thing to get back together with you. Here are my concerns. That to me is very dramatic. Yeah. It's not in the rain you know, Jasmine and Crosby right. kissing or... <laughs> Which I love, Kira obviously. Knightley or, you know. <laughs> yeah. And I love it too. Yeah. But, but... I'm glad that this wasn't that because I don't think the situation the characters are in justifies it. Yeah, I agree. As you were talking, I was thinking about how... I actually think that for the most part, this is something parenthood does not do very well, is conflict within a relationship. Because I feel like... Well, Maybe I should rephrase. When they do it, I think they do it very well, but I don't think they do it very often. Like the fact that my husband could be on the show, our show, each time one of the Bravermans made out with somebody <laughs> that they're not in a relationship with, I think shows that they too often went to that um, as a source of conflict, which I'm guessing is actually very rare in relationships. Like, I mean, I'm sure people cheat, but like, what are the odds that in a six year span, I guess five years, we're only to year five, that like four siblings would all kiss somebody that they're not supposed to, that, that, you know, cheat in, in a minor way, I guess Crosby cheated all the way, but uh, you know, everyone else cheated a little. Um, and I'm like, oh, that's because maybe parenthood wasn't sure what to do. But I'm thinking of other moments like season two, Julia and Joel had a ton of great moments that I guess eventually led to where we are now. But like, you know, Joel yelling at her like, you don't want me to work ever. Um, Or him being mad that she talked to Adam about having a kid before they'd even decided. I'm like, those are great beats. Or when Adam says to Christina you know, that he doesn't have a life, he has a schedule and that really hurts her feelings. And she's like, take a break. Those are great moments. They do do it very well. They just don't do it very often, you know? Instead, they just either break people up or introduce some romantic, you know, distraction or dalliance or something. And I find that a little 
disappointing because I, I think that they could have just done so much more. I think all the things that I just said that weren't about making out with someone else are infinitely more interesting than all those making out with someone else episodes were. So, yeah. yeah. Oh, I think you're so right. And I think they also don't prolong the consequences of those moments enough. Yeah. it's I've mentioned it before, but it's something I always loved about the TV show, The Fosters. Steph and Lena, the the married couple on that show would have stretches of time, at least as I remember, maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> we've learned from this podcast. I don't always remember TV shows exactly like they happened, but in my memory, they would have a couple of stretches throughout the series where they were just kind of pissed at each other. Yeah. And it wasn't because one of them had cheated. It was just, they were going through a rough patches is, is maybe even too strong. Yeah. But just like a streak of time where it's like, God, you're annoying me. Yeah. Yeah. And then they work through it and get past it. And I've never been married or in a long relationship, but it that to me feels so real mm-hmm. from any relationship, not even just romantic ones. It's like, yeah, sometimes there's friction. Yeah. And that is the test of whether two people are suited to be in a relationship. Can you see the forest for the trees yeah. and endure those moments and get past them? Or do they fester? And, so, you know, that's something that I feel like in the Joel Julia arc this season, if they had done more of that yeah. throughout the series, it wouldn't have seemed as sudden as it did. Even yeah. though we clocked several of them, but it's like, we were kind of looking with a jeweler's eye <laughs> yes. sometime, I think, of like, <laughs> oh, that, that, they didn't actually resolve it. Yeah. As opposed to like, oh, yeah, remember that two weeks after he said, you don't want me to work ever, when they were like walking on eggshells around each other? No, we don't remember that because they just resolved it at the end of the episode. Yeah. Or claimed to. Claimed to, yeah. Or like, I'm thinking now, yes, Sarah and Hank had this really deep, interesting conversation and it's a weird thing for me to say that I wish that she had been together with Hank longer, given how I feel about Hank. But, you know, if if Hank's endgame anyway, I don't really understand what the point of this season was, keeping them in part for entire season, especially if they thought maybe the show would end with this episode. It just lends credence to that, oh, so you only think that they're interesting as they get together. Like, even though they have a very adult conversation getting back together, it was all just leading to them getting back together. Okay, what if instead of him moving to Minnesota at all last season, she had just picked him over Mark, and this season we saw them have trouble communicating. They're in a relationship, but boy, turns out he might be on the spectrum that explains some things and they're going through it together. And, you know, I really liked Carl, but like if the whole point of Carl was just distraction, one more guy for Sarah to flirt with and date, what was the point? I don't really understand. I just think their time could have been better spent. And, you know, if she had been with Hank, Carl would have been a much more interesting character. If she were with someone and discovering this guy does not know how to communicate with me. Mm-hmm. And then one of her tenants who's handsome and successful is flirting with her. Yeah. And their connection is effortless. Yeah. Boy, there's a temptation. Yeah. And then it would make sense that she'd be resisting it. Yes. As it played out. And this, she was resistant to it. And we could never figure out why. Like, what's your problem, Sarah? I want someone my age who's successful and reliable and interesting. <laughs> 
but not you. <laughs> yeah. Man who checks all those boxes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. It just didn't make any sense. And so, I mean, I, I enjoy everything about the show. I mean, I love the show, but yeah, watching it so closely, you just can't help but like notice little things that you're like, oh, I think that could have been better. So, yeah. yeah. Another quibble I had in the Sarah Hank storyline in this episode is what exactly changed her mind before she goes into the, his shop at the end and kisses him? Because we certainly, like the moment when Amber hugs Hank. That was great. In the hospital. That was great. And I believed it. And I clocked that Sarah had a very visible, noticeable reaction. Yeah. yeah. But that was before they had this conversation. Yeah. If it had happened after the conversation, if she said, I'm not sure. And then she sees her daughter mm-hmm. and what trust she has in him and gratitude for how he took care of her and was there for her. Oh, that did it. And this is maybe a little reductive because in life it's not like, well, I need an incident to notice <laughs> before I can change my mind. Right. Of course not. You reflect on things and then you make up your mind. And I think that's what she did. But in terms of storytelling, it was a little unclear because in between that conversation I, we played, nothing happens. No, that's the true. next thing we see is her coming in and kissing him. Yeah. Like, OK, so you just decided, which I guess is the adult thing to do. Yeah. But I was left wanting a little bit like, how would you arrive at this decision? I think especially we part of that. Yeah. <laughs> especially since all season, I just really believed her when she said she was over Hank. I mean, it just really seemed like she was. And so I just feel a bit like it's a plot contrivance. Like, well, because the show is ending and we've decided we wanted her to end up with Hank. And that's why <laughs> and it's like, yeah. yes, but why does the character arrive at that? Not why do the writers arrive at that? The writers probably yeah. knew the second they hired Rank, Hank, Hank Romano <laughs> that if they could get him to stick around. Ray Tomato. <laughs> do you think that that was in the script, the big tomato in the room, or do you think that he made that up trying to make Lauren Graham laugh? Do you what do you... Now I think that <laughs> it hadn't occurred to me, but you saying it rings instantly true. Yeah, I can see that. Anyway, nobody thinks it's the big tomato in that room. <laughs> it was funny. So. Well, you said, you know, we have to arrive at the end of this season. Speaking of arrivals, oh, no. I have a few questions about Hattie's arrival. Oh, boy. Number one, they didn't pick her up at the airport? Yeah. Why did they make her take a cab? Good point. That feels bizarre to me. Anyway, second question. Would you hang a banner for your child returning for the summer? No. I mean, I went home for two summers in between <laughs> No school, banner. For and you. there was no banner for me. Now, my family's not so much a banner family. <laughs> but still. And then made me think, question three. Did she come back home after her first summer? Huh. Or after her first year for her first summer. And did they hang a banner then? I mean, they hung a banner when she left. Yeah. I don't know. Yes, they are a banner family. Is this, again, not like trusting us with exposition. Like, Hattie can just come home for the summer. We know where she's been. You don't have to hang a sign saying, welcome home. 
<laughs> Hattie. At the end of season five, anyone who's made it this far knows who Hattie is and what she's doing back. Although they yeah. might have forgotten because it has been so long since <laughs> anyone never mentioned, mentioned her. Yeah. <laughs> Totally true. I'm trying to remember what happens at the end of season four. Um, Adam and Christina go to Hawaii and she's like, you know, the, the cancer, like she's okay. Yeah. But yeah. Victor like, gets adopted. Yeah. Yeah. Hattie's nowhere to be seen. Hattie yeah, that nobody mentions. <laughs> no one says boo about Hattie. Also, season four ended quite early, like I think in March. Okay. So maybe they didn't feel like they could flash that far forward. And maybe and she does come like, home It's for the, the end summer. of the school year. Hattie's yeah. back. Yeah. I don't know. Um, I do think Sarah Ramos looks pretty amazing with her blonde hair. Yeah, she really pulls that off. She looked fantastic, I thought. Maybe yeah. maybe I, never better. Yeah. I thought it was a great look. And her friend, as she introduces her, <laughs> her Lauren, super great is played friend. by Tavi <laughs> Gevinson, who rose to popularity as a fashion blogger when she was only 11 years old. Really? Her, yeah, her fashion blog was called Style Rookie, and she eventually transitioned that into an online magazine called Rookie, which I believe she was 15 when she founded that. Wow. And then she transitioned into acting. This was one of her first roles ever. She's now on the Gossip Girl reboot, which I watched the first season of, even though I never watched the original Gossip Girl. Wow. Was she good in the Gossip Girl reboot? Yeah, she was okay. It's funny, I often thought of you because <laughs> if you think parenthood depicts teachers in a negative light, oh boy. <laughs> in the Gossip Girl reboot, the people running the Gossip Girl app, which just spreads horrible gossip about the students, are the teachers. Oh my God. And they do it to teach the kids a lesson because they it's this hoity-toity private school and they think all the rich kids are entitled assholes who need to be like taken down a peg. <laughs> I was like, Melissa would watch this through (laughs) through slits in her fingers. My God. Just in disbelief at what these teachers were doing. That's insane. But anyway, that's Tavi Gevinson. Well, I was so distracted. I thought she looked and sounded a ton like Michelle Williams, but specifically as Jen Lindley on Dawson's Creek. Like, same hair, short. Um, Like, she was always, like, coming up to all the taller girls, like, Joe, you know, like, uh, Katie Holmes, like, coming up to their, like, chin or whatever. (laughs) So I just, (laughs) I noticed, like, Hattie was much taller, and she was just, like, spunky and adorable. And, uh, yeah, I really liked her. But, yeah, she was giving me Michelle Williams vibes. And I love Michelle Williams. I mean... I yeah. was I was I was team Jen Lindley all the way. I was everybody else is all Joey Potter this and Joey Potter that. Not no. Jen Lindley. All right, I'm done. I we mentioned this in a previous podcast, but in between seasons four and five, yeah, there was a Parenthood panel hosted at Paley Fest, where Jason Kadams was asked a question from the audience by a gay man who wondered if they would ever explore a storyline with a gay character specifically about how a gay child relates to their parents yeah, and the fear of being accepted or not and on all of that. I just want to play his response to that question. Yeah, I, it is something that um, I, would, I would love to find a way in and find a way to do. The tricky part with it on the show is so many of the characters are, are established 
And so we'd, you know, <laughs> figure out a way to tell that story in a way like it feels like it's not from a character that we don't know, uh, who doesn't feel like the part in a crucial part of the show. Can I say uh, something? Does anybody here want to? I know. I May, do. You, Next I've tried, oh, guys. Yeah. I just want to put it out there. I, I pitched it a few times. Bit, I well, was like, <laughs> Amber, clearly, look, she's got a shaped yeah. head. She's <laughs> open. She's casual. What's the problem here? You know, she's in love now, but you know, you never know. You never know what happens. Yeah. You know, she's young. Monica? I was just going to say, when we were outside, three people asked me what Christina was going to do next season. I think maybe I come out. Maybe you come out. <laughs> <laughs> I know, we have to, how do you top breast it. cancer? There you go. There you go. <laughs> All right, we have um, to talk. What would you do? But it's not, no, it is something that it, I take your, I take what you're saying very seriously, and I would love to find a way to do that on the show. I've never heard that clip. I really enjoyed that. I, I've heard you reference it before, but I've never actually heard it. I think Monica Potter might have had my favorite. It wasn't what she said. It was her delivery. Yeah. As always. Yeah. Come out. I think maybe. Yeah. Think about. Well, I, I must have read it or seen that panel or something because I do have a vague memory of throughout season five waiting to see like, well, who is it going to be? And Drew, I think, was my natural thought. Yeah. Even though I guess we had seen him in a very serious relationship yeah. with Amy and a sexual relationship. But, you know, people have sex all the time with uh, Michael B. Jordan. Time, not 100% of the time, but <laughs> it's not uncommon to have sex with people of the opposite sex and then come out yeah. as gay. Yeah. Anyway, I remember thinking <laughs> I was quite surprised when I realized, oh, it's Hattie. They're going to bring back this character and have her come out. Yeah. I also want to reference something that we talked about in the Friday night at the luncheonette feature. Oh, yeah, yeah. When Max learns what lesbians are. And I said, I think this doesn't align with the continuity of the series because later on he's going to ask what lesbians are. And this claims that he would have already learned that. But I was a little bit wrong, I think. Excuse me, tailored person. Max, he, that's kind of rude. It's not, he's a tailor and a person. Okay, we'll get the brown. We can probably- if two girls are kissing, does that mean that they're lesbians? Don't prick me. Honey, um, what? Why would Patty you ask me? Patty and Lauren were kissing. They, Hattie and Lauren were kissing yes. like, in the, Don't prick me. Sometimes when girls kiss their friends, and so they're friendly, like, um... I want a maroon tie. There's a friendship. maroon tie. Max, can you explain... This one works. Um, me, buddy, honey, how were they kissing? Bud. So his question was a little subtler than yeah. I remembered. I thought he had said, what are lesbians? But I think it tracks if he knows what lesbians are, and his question is... Does two girls kissing automatically qualify them yeah. as lesbians? Well Which, put. that is a nuanced answer because no. it doesn't necessarily. Yeah. And I also noticed in this episode, because Hattie never labels her sexuality, yeah. who knows what she's coming out as? It could be bisexual. It could be pansexual. Yeah. Who knows? I remember finding her coming out feeling really tacked on yeah, and not given like the proper time that it deserved. I also remember feeling really upset at the time 
that I felt like this somehow invalidated her relationship with Alex. Mm. I wasn't so worried about Steve. But <laughs> Alex, it felt like, are they rewriting Hattie's character? But I think my views have evolved since then. It didn't feel as tacked on. It didn't feel as rushed. I believe that she did love Alex and that was all legitimate. Yeah. Even if she's now dating a woman. And like I said, maybe she's not ruling out men forever. Maybe she's bisexual or, you know. Yeah. I also felt like, well, let me play her coming out scene as well. Okay. Such as it is. Where's Lauren? Did she go out? Yeah, she like runs every day. It's really annoying and, you know, (laughs) show off. (laughs) Yeah, she's pretty great. She's kind of... She's a good kid. Yeah, she's incredible. Yeah. I just, uh, I want you to know how much I am. Um, I support you. And um, I'll always be here for you. And so if you ever want to talk about things or... um, Yeah, so, um, Max talked to you, I'm guessing. He said... Yeah, I just, I don't know, I just, I wasn't sure what he saw. If he saw anything or... So, yeah, um... So you and Lauren are... are Yeah, we're dating. Okay. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I was going to tell you, obviously, I just, I don't know. It's like, I know you guys are really, you know, open and super Berkeley and all of that. But I also know you, like, you know, want your kids to have this standard of, of living. And I just didn't want to scare you or freak you out because nothing's really different. Hattie. Scare me, how? No, honey, no. I would never be upset with you for following your heart, ever. And I just want you to be truly, truly happy. Mm -hmm. And I mean that. Okay. Okay? Yeah. I love you no matter what. Mm -hmm. I love you too. So like I said, it bothered me way less this time. And I was looking up stuff about this episode and I found an article on BuzzFeed with Monica Potter after Hattie came out where they were referencing, you know, that Christina was so cool with it. And Monica Potter said, thank God we did. I'm like, we live in Berkeley. Even if we didn't live in Berkeley, I'm like, come on, let's go. (laughs) As parents, Christina and Adam totally get it and totally support it. People were like, where's the drama? And I'm like, sometimes there doesn't need to be drama. They have it in all the other storylines. And reading that, it made me really happy that there wasn't more drama surrounding this. It actually felt like a very good depiction that we don't always see. I mean, I think it's more common now that as homosexuality becomes more and more socially acceptable, but back when it was still progressing a lot of gay storylines would be about prejudice and how hard it was and all the struggles you'd go through and all the pain and in that sense i think it's really nice to have 
a depiction of a family where the child knew that the parents would be accepting and was right. Yeah. Because it's still hard. It's still nerve wracking. Yeah. It was actually very nice to see. And I, I thought it was handled pretty well in terms of representation. Like the guy asking the question at the panel, it feels like maybe a little bit of a cop out to, yeah, we're going to explore this with one character who's not even on the show anymore for the one episode when she's back. <laughs> that, that was my complaint. Yeah. And also when he says like, it's hard because all the characters are established. I get what he means, but Hattie was just as established as anyone. Like yeah. it wouldn't have been more outlandish for Drew or Amber yeah. to come out as gay or bisexual. We've seen them all in relationships. Yeah. And for a lot of people in life, people think they are quote unquote established right. in their own lives. That's why it's a surprise. Yeah. Sometimes. Sometimes it's not. True. That was my complaint because I didn't watch it thinking, I wish Adam and Christina hadn't accepted her. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I was like, thank goodness, because they really fucked it up with Alex, you know? We were joking, you know, during that clip when she's like, I would never want you to not follow your heart. And we're like, really? You know, and, and I just <laughs> think... Maybe hopefully they learned, you know, after Alex, like Hattie is going to love who she loves. It's really not up to us to understand or to like approve or whatever. But I just, I think it's a little bit of a cop out. If you're going to be like, yes, we're going to explore a character's sexuality. Like you said, it's one episode. Are you kidding me? Yeah. If it had been Drew or Amber, we would have been in their point of view and we would I mean I just keep thinking well now I feel ripped off because she just comes back <laughs> with Lauren and I think they played it very very well very well acted by everyone so I don't actually think it was there for shock factor but I think you could make the argument that it was a bit gratuitous like not not that she and Lauren were like making out not that kind of gratuitous but just like we're edgy check us out like she came back with a girlfriend, you know? And, and I just think it would have been cool to see her like, how did this happen? Did she and Lauren start hanging out as friends and then realize they felt something more? Is Lauren gay and not like bisexual? And Hattie befriended her knowing that, y you know, like, and then found herself attracted to her and was like a little taken aback by it? Or, or was there no drama at all? She didn't even question it. She just fell for her the same way she fell for anyone. I just think it's a little sad that we don't get any of that because he chose to do it with a character who had left the show. And I just think, boy, I just really would have rather have been at Hattie's college getting in on that storyline <laughs> instead of at <laughs> Drew's college where yeah. he and Natalie are like, well, they won't they the whole damn time. And it just, that's a bummer to me. Yeah. You know, sometimes I wonder, is there any way that they could have kept Hattie as a character on the show. I mean, even as I ask it, I think, gosh, that would be so difficult to have one character on the opposite side of the country. She can't interact with any yeah. of the reg other regulars. Yeah. But there are things that you miss. And, you know, and the upside of it is, like, this comes out of left field for Adam and Christina, and it comes out of left field for us because yeah. we're in the same boat. We haven't seen her. We don't know how this happened. Yeah. And that is how it would feel. But I'm sure that they would then learn how yeah. it happened, that that would be the conversation. And we didn't get to see any of that either because there were so many 
loose ends to wrap up. Yeah. And I agree. I want to know more details. Yeah. It could only help. I don't think it would hurt. No. Oh, now that I know the whole story, I hate it. Yeah, no. (laughs) No. And I think they did a good job with casting. Like, I thought that they had a really nice, like, chemistry. Like, they felt like a couple to me. I don't know. They they were playful and sweet. And I don't know. I I really bought that. So I I think they did a lot with a little, you know? Like, we there wasn't a lot of screen time for them or anything, but... Yeah, I mean, in a vacuum, I I thought it was good. It was well acted, well done. It made me tear up when, you know, Adam kind of figures it out. And it's also kind of funny, you know, that it takes him a little while. Um, Because I thought Hattie talking to him, it was... Maybe I only thought it was obvious because I knew, you know. But I thought it was funny that, like, it was Lauren talking about Hattie that made him realize it. Because all she said was like, oh, yeah, I love Hattie. And she didn't say it like... I love Hattie. Like she said it all casually, yeah. like you would about a friend. And then he's like, oh. But yeah, and Hattie was like, I've never had a relationship like this. <laughs> <laughs> Everything's really new, and I'm learning so much about myself. And he's like, it's great to have friends. <laughs> you know? Like, what? Yeah. Oh. I did have an, a moment, though, of thinking that Adam really has come a long way from, you know, removing her door because she wants to wear a bra. Yeah. To like, oh, she's sleeping with this woman and i don't know i think geography helped their relationship because adam you need to let go what can help with that three thousand miles (laughs) absolutely well and i don't want to (laughs) sound critical of like yes it's much nicer to think this is progress and he has learned and the distance has helped but the cynical part of me that i guess just won't let it die i'm like well this is adam's best case scenario she's never gonna date a man again is she like she like Not i don't know. end up pregnant yeah like yeah. wear a condom you didn't say that to lauren you know like it just like i don't know i i did wonder that like the way that some people might be freaked out if he's like weirdly relieved because he has all this weird stuff but that's that i i actually think i'm being petty and unfair when i say that i'm i'm hearing it and i'm like you know what <laughs> for someone as kind of judgy as adam i think this would have been hard. So I think the fact that it wasn't does mean he's grown. Yeah, I, I do think it's that. I, But I had to say the snarky thing too. <laughs> so. I do remember thinking, like it's, it's interesting that she came out to them by bringing a girlfriend home. Yeah. I remember thinking when I came out that I wanted to do it when I was single because I didn't want anyone to think that a specific person yeah. had somehow like cast a spell over me and made me believe I was gay. And I I do think that in general, that's good advice. Yeah. Like I think if you're in a relationship, it's no reason to not come out. Like, <laughs> right. Well, now they'll think it's, a, no. I mean, do it whenever is right for you. But I think a bonus of doing it while you're single, if you're worried about people having that kind of reaction that you can then say, I arrived at this on my own. And I think that is what's so interesting about a storyline like this. I just wish I knew because it's so fascinating. I'm like, would Hattie have arrived at this on her own? Or did she fall for this particular person? Yeah. I don't know. Don't know. Yeah. I remember on Buffy season four, Willow goes to college and she falls in love with a woman And I'm always really torn on how I think they did with that. Because on the one hand, 
we are in her point of view a lot and we see her hanging out with Tara and like falling for each other kind of slowly over the course of the season. But they also never really show Willow like talking to anyone about it or like wondering. She just like seems to accept it so fast. And then I'm like, well, maybe that's just me imposing my idea of what I would do if I suddenly developed feelings for a woman. I would like talk to people like, whoa, I've always liked guys my whole life. Can you believe this? But then I'm like, Melissa, but you're straight. So you would be really taken by surprise. <laughs> You'd be like, <laughs> what? Because that wouldn't happen to you. So then I'm like, if someone really is learning this about themselves, do they need to process it aloud? Or are they just doing a lot of thinking? You know, I, I don't know. And I don't even really know either because I was not that confused. You know, I, I dated dated (laughs) that is in the most sarcastic quotation marks a girl in sixth grade yeah that is the extent of my like dating women yeah but i knew from a very young age that i was attracted to men yeah so i never had a moment of what does this mean right you know like a new attraction yeah i never grappled with that i did have a one of the like final straws of actually coming out for me was a very big crush that I had on a guy who was with someone else. Mm. And I remember thinking like, if my dream came true, he would leave this other guy and be with me. Yeah. And I thought, but I'm not even gay as far as anyone knows. Right. So if that dream came true, then people would have to know and Am I ready for that? And it, it was it was wow. that that kind of made me feel like if I'm going to want this, then I need to be ready for it. And it's funny. I wrote a song called Ready that I think of as my like coming out song. Oh, wow. And it was written at the request of this guy I had a crush on. He was a singer. He's like, can you write me some songs? And so I wrote him a song of like what I wished he would sing to me. And then he sang it to you because you were playing. I actually can't remember if he uh, ever if he ever sang the song. Wow. People okay. have sung it, but I don't remember if he did. Wow. That was the summer of 2007 between my third and fourth year of college. And I was living in my first apartment all alone. I wonder if that helped too, time alone with my own thoughts. Yeah. I didn't have furniture or air conditioning or internet. <laughs> I was just sitting alone in this apartment, crushing on this guy and thinking, but I'm not gay. Maybe I should be. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Do you remember when I came out to you? I do remember that. Do you remember? We were at Chili's. Chili's in <laughs> Pittsburgh. Oh, my god! I had come out over the phone to my parents and my sisters and then to our friend Megan Nell, who yes. was on in season one. And those phone calls, they were all in one night. I did them all at once. Wow. Not all at once, but in, in a row. Yeah. Parents, Jay, Lindsay, Megan. And then like a day or two after that, I went to Kansas to visit. And I knew I was going. I was like, okay, I'm going to do it now before I go so I don't have to do it once I'm there. Yeah. But I got together with you. And with you, I told you in person. I... Really loved that you told me in person. And I remember having like a really good talk about that. And I mean, I I wasn't like shocked, of course, but I also wasn't so presumptuous as to think I knew something about you that 
you, you know, like you had always said, like people think I'm gay, but I'm not, you know, and I respected what you said, you know, and I was like, I don't know. <laughs> he knows himself better than anyone else does, but it did seem like maybe, yeah, time away and time alone, you know, like you were able to like say it, I think, or admit it. And it's so strange to think about what different times those were, like how much harder that must have been even not even like 20 years ago, like 15 years ago, or I I suck at math, but however long ago that was, (laughs) but yeah. What's your memory of it? Like, was it just really hard to tell everybody or was it like once you decided it was a relief or? Once I told people it was definitely a relief. It's funny you say like, you didn't want to presume to know me better than I knew myself. That may have been the biggest factor in me resisting coming out. Because I had been teased my whole, almost my whole life about being gay. And obviously anything that people are using to make fun of you, you want to like push away. Right. No, 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 no. I'm not what you say I am because you're making me feel bad right now. And it, there was an element of like, oh, they were all right. Uh, all the like meanest people I ever knew in my life yeah. knew this thing about me before I kind of did. That was sort of the hardest. Like, I didn't think my parents or my family, certainly not my immediate family, I never really thought there was going to be any problem there. I mean, I was a little nervous about my mom, Mm -hmm. but never in a way of like, she'll disown me. I never thought that. I just thought, oh, that's going to maybe be a little awkward. And I do remember I called them first, my parents, at the same time. And my dad did all the talking. Hmm. And once I said it, my mom didn't say anything. But my dad, I had no concern about. And he gets this sort of like reassuring psychologist voice is how I think of it. And he goes, that's okay, Caleb. (laughs) We love you. (laughs) We're not exactly surprised. (laughs) It was very sweet. And, And then I went home. And then I talked to my mom about it face to face. And yeah, it was a little awkward but mostly she just asked questions it was and she was very reassuring like she wanted to know that I knew there was going to be no disowning or loving me less that was very clear my sisters I wasn't worried about at all Megan I wasn't you I wasn't yeah so yeah then it was a relief yeah but I think that was hard and I also just the like it's this thing I kind of identified with Hattie in this episode even though she like she said she knows her parents are going to be okay with it. And yet she's still crying at the end. It just feels like a big deal to say it. And like, and once you say it, you can't unsay it. And it's like a moment in your life that, you know, wow, after this, nothing is exactly the same. Wow. Yeah. It just feels momentous and that will stir up emotions. Yeah. I also remember on that trip, (laughs) (laughs) Megan and I took a road trip from Lawrence. She was living in Lawrence at the time to Denver to see the out of town pre-Broadway tryout of the Little Mermaid musical. (laughs) How did anyone ever (laughs) guess I might be gay? And on that trip, being out, just talking with her so freely was great. And, um, (laughs) And while we were in Denver... 
we went and saw the movie I now pronounce you Chuck and Larry. Oh man! <laughs> with oh, Adam Sandler and Kevin James pretending to be yep. a married couple, Oof. which I'm sure is like super offensive. I don't remember much about it, but I don't remember being offended by it. I remember thinking like, I'm seeing this and I'm gay too. And <laughs> it was like a lot of fun. And it felt like oh. a kind of like rite of passage. And That's nice. I like that. I remember seeing that movie and not being horrified by it. I bet I would be now. <laughs> it's funny how these things <laughs> go. <laughs> yeah. How interesting like I've never had to pinpoint a moment in my life when I realized I was straight because that's the default, right? Like it shouldn't be, but it is. And so people assume you're straight, I guess, until you come out otherwise. And that, that's an interesting thing to think about because here I was watching, you know, Buffy or like this episode back in the day thinking like, I wonder why they're not grappling with it more. And I think I understood why I thought that. It was because they had had very significant relationships that I'd been rooted in that were with a man, you know. I mean, Willow and Oz were my favorite couple ever on Buffy. I was like, she should be grappling. Like, it's like, what? But now I'm like, well, who knows? I mean, yeah, maybe they're bisexual or or maybe they were on some level just trying out what it's like to be quote unquote, like everybody else or normal. I don't think that's the case. I mean, I really do think Hattie and Alex loved each other. I, I do think that. But I I don't know. I, it's, it's an interesting thing that I see what maybe Jason Kadams meant about them being established. And, and, you know, it's certainly not like you being a kid and people thinking you were gay before you'd admitted it to yourself he never could play that storyline because he hadn't laid the groundwork for that storyline. That's a good point. Yeah. And, you know, I don't know that I've ever seen a show with that. I believe they've existed. The one that comes to mind is a character on Ugly Betty. I okay. never watched this show, but I believe there was a young boy. The character played by Mark Indelicato was like a very flamboyant teenager, mm-hmm. I believe. And... I, I never watched the show, but from what I gathered, he did at some point come out on the show, the character. And it was like everyone probably assumed. Mm-hmm. And I, I would be curious to know how they handled that character, because especially if you're dealing with like Mark and Delicato is gay in real life. And I don't know if he was out then. He was a child. Right. And so if you're trying to cast an actor who seems gay, first of all, you can't ask an actor that legally. And I think that's wise. You shouldn't be able to hire or not hire someone (laughs) based on their private sexual orientation. Right. And then add to that, that they're a minor. You really can't ask. (laughs) No. But then if you are casting them because they give off a quality that you think most people will read a certain way, and then you're going to play into that, but you don't know where the actor themselves is with that. It just, it's a very delicate situation. It's a good point. So I understand maybe why it's not depicted very often, but at least for me, that was the story of my life. Like, I don't think there were a lot of people shocked yeah. <laughs> that I was not straight. Yeah. Because I didn't seem straight. Right. I seemed like a stereotypical gay kid. That was my struggle, not, no one's going to believe this. Yeah. 
Wow. And it's funny, I feel like that story happens a lot on TV. Characters who don't seem gay at all. Yeah. Are. Well, and it's because I think sometimes those stories... It's like more palatable. Maybe. Gosh, I wasn't even thinking that. I was thinking that it's like they realize, oh, we should inject some diversity into this show. Let's take a totally straight character and make him gay. And I think that's another reason why I maybe wanted like Willow to like wonder about it more because I'm like, well, you have firmly established her one way and now you're writing her another way. And I just want to like understand that journey, I guess, because that feels very different from like, you know, what you had experienced. Not that everything looks the same. It doesn't, but I do want to make sure it doesn't feel like, okay, we're just writing this straight character gay now. Um, same thing, Dawson's Creek, like, made a lot of headlines for having one of the first, like, gay characters ever on a show. But when they brought him on, he was a love interest for Katie Holmes. And so I think it's very interesting to watch his first, like, six, seven episodes and, like, try to, like, see any signs at all that he might be gay. And there's nothing. <laughs> like, there's nothing at all. Um, <laughs> they just really liked the actor, I think. And if he was just a love interest for Katie Holmes, he was going to be temporary because she's supposed to end up with Dawson or Pacey, but not anyone else. And so any other love interest comes and goes. But they liked this guy. And so I think they were like, hey, come here. What if we make you gay? And I think he's like, great. Like, <laughs> I want a job. Like, yes. You know? And so then he's like having the first, like kiss with with a man on like I can't remember what it was I think it was like the first primetime kiss on like network television it was like a huge deal it's funny because it's like a pick you know it's like nothing (laughs) but yeah I mean they they literally took a straight character and and made him gay and so yeah I think boy if you were gonna do it in a way that felt totally I don't know organic to what probably a lot of kids who know it their entire lives or something you'd have to almost start with someone like Sydney or Jabbar and, you know, cause they're like sort of asexual cause they're children, you know, like we've never yeah. seen either of them have a crush on anyone. And so like if the show had lasted longer, you know, they could have decided to do something like that and have their first crush be same sex or something. But yeah. I remember you pointing out one of David and Keith's kids on six feet under in the final episode they flash forward and one of them is with a woman and one of them is with a man. Oh yeah. And they were so young that they were sort of asexual. Interesting. And there was no dialogue or anything. It was, I had missed it. And you said, did you notice? Oh man. That's cool. I should also mention Hayden Byerly, who plays Micah Mm. on Parenthood. He was also a character on the Fosters named Jude. And he was gay on that show. And almost from the beginning, and as as a very young child, and one of the most, like, made me feel like a schoolgirl giddy scenes, (laughs) he has a crush on this boy, but neither of them, they're like in sixth grade. Right. So they're not out or anything. They maybe don't even quite know what it is they're feeling, but they go to the movies each with a girl. And they're sitting next to each other in the middle and the girls are on the outside and just their pinkies touch on the armrest and they're the look on their faces. It's like they're going up the first hill of a roller coaster. It's like they are terrified, but exhilarated and then their pinkies touch and it's just like electric and magical. 
That was amazing. Oh, I love that. That's beautiful. Well, the last big storyline in the finale is saying goodbye to the house. Yeah. Adam and Crosby are apparently <laughs> helping. <laughs> I hate it in here without all, all the furniture out. It's a shock, man. Yeah, it looks empty, and I don't like it. It pisses me off that they went ahead and did this. Mm-hmm. I didn't think Dad was going to do it. Yeah. I had that phase myself. I'm on the other side of it. I went through all eight. I had a lot of good memories in this house. I was hoping to make some more, hoping Nora could have a sleepover in the guest house, maybe Hattie get married here. Speaking of good memories, you got one run left in you, old guy. So... The last line there, you got one run left in you? Yeah. I read some review of this episode where they mentioned that how great it was to see Adam and Crosby do a lap around the house. Oh. But we didn't see that. No. And then he says that line, you got one run left in you. Like, what are you talking about? You must be talking about this lap around the house. But that didn't happen. And so I thought, is Hulu editing this episode? I pulled out my DVD. It was the exact same episode. Whoa. So I don't know what that was referring to. I assumed it was like the bobsled thing. Like, you know, one more run down the ramp, you know, kind of thing. Oh. It was from Time Magazine, a review of the season finale. And in this paragraph, it says, The real strength in this finale lies in its more quotidian moments, as is always the case for parenthood. Adam and Crosby's vigorous victory lap around their childhood home is sweet. And Zeke and Millie's last dance through the empty living room is even sweeter. Victory lap, unless, like you just said, unless they're meaning victory lap figuratively. Maybe they mean it figuratively. And I hope so. Otherwise, I'm paranoid. I'm like, where's this footage I'm not seeing that Time Magazine singled out as such a wonderfully sweet moment? Wow. It was sweet, all the stuff Adam and Crosby were doing, though. I really loved them reminiscing. I'm like, that's exactly what you would do. Yeah. If you were saying goodbye to the house you grew up in. I really did like that too. I thought it was very realistic. It was, I liked them palling around. It's funny because we kind of like called that regressive when Crosby and Zeke like went on their road trip and stuff. But I didn't find that to be the case with this at all. And I think it was because if you're in your childhood home saying goodbye to it, I think it only makes sense that you would kind of regress a little, but it like wouldn't, yeah. it wouldn't feel weird because they're not like bonding over like our wives or nags or something. Right. They're just and being they're with like, people they grew up with. Yes. Like mom. Crosby dad. didn't grow up with Zeke. Yeah. I mean, he did, but Zeke was always his father and was always decades older than him. Yeah. Adam and Crosby were little kids together. Yes. They were brothers. Yeah. Yeah. Let's be here in our childhood at home and remember when we were both kids and we did all this stuff. Yeah. That's adorable. I really liked it a lot. I thought it was and very a, sweet. a little obnoxious once like Crosby's hurt and Camille has to tend to him. Yes. Of while course. she's trying to pack up her home. <sighs> yeah. But you know, I blame Zeke. They should have hired movers. <laughs> yeah. I mean, didn't they just get like five million dollars for their house or whatever? It's fine. We don't know that, but they better have. They better have. Yeah, we don't actually know. I'm just. I want. Did you begrudge Adam saying he was pissed off that they were selling, or is it okay as long as it's not said directly to his parents? I think it's okay if you're not saying it to your parents and calling them selfish and stuff. Like I think. 
I think people have to vent sometimes. And, you know, I also give it to Adam. He said it once and then he seemed to get over it. Like, I think that's pretty healthy, you know? So, yeah. yeah. I did have a moment of my own sadness of realizing the house was being sold. When Drew says that he'll be spending the summer in his mom's basement apartment. Yeah. And I thought, why aren't you going to stay in the guest house? Oh, because wow. that's not their home anymore. And then I was like, gosh, that's sad. It's the end of an era. It is. I was really choked up at them dancing in the empty house. Gosh, that was beautiful. Beautiful. And I, I noticed on my second watch, I'm like, God, it's real quick. Like, it's not some prolonged dance. I don't even think that they play music. I mean, I think the show might have music, you know, like, but it's not yeah. like they get out a song and, and have like some big meaningful moment. It's not like when Christina and Max dance before his, you know, school dance. Right. It was just quick. And I think I loved that more because yeah. it felt like a spontaneous little twirl around the room. And then they just walked out together and, I really loved that it wasn't some pre-planned like gesture or something. It was just something that like occurred to them as a way to say goodbye. Yeah. And I'm realizing they've had a number of dance parties yeah. in that house. Yeah. But I really like that this didn't involve the kids. Yeah. That it was just Zeke and Camille. And yeah. Thought, yeah. Before all of that and all of them, they were a couple and this was their home. And they are the ones saying goodbye to it. And, you know, as much as it means to all the kids, yes, of course. Gosh, think what it must mean to them. Yeah, absolutely. When they moved in there and started this family, it's very emotional. Yeah. So Natalie loves Drew. Next. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, that's literally verbatim my note. Oh, my gosh. Drew mentions while moving stuff. And, you know, Zeke says the best mover will get a reward. Yeah. Drew says, well, what's the reward? Your lucky first dollar? And I thought, isn't a first dollar something that owners of stores and businesses display? Yes. Like, look, this is the first dollar we ever got. Yeah. So I'm like, is this a clue? Oh, my gosh. Did Zeke own a store or own a business? What was his life before <laughs> retirement? You're right. We don't know, but I like that because I, I just, just thought... like the only clue we've ever got. I think it is. I just thought that was a really funny thing to say. And I loved how like sort of offended Zeke was at it, even though it's not really a mean thing to say. It's just like sort of dismissive. Like, you know, yeah. the person who wins is going to get a treat or a prize is like, oh, you're walking for a stop. I don't know. I just thought that was <laughs> great. It really cracked me up. But it wasn't a first dollar. I guess by default, you win the best mover prize. <laughs> Thank you. I won what the lucky dollar? What is it? The lucky dollar. Uh-huh. Well, you're not even close. What? What do you mean? Hey, what? I don't understand. Well, you can go see that girl in Portland now. Oh, gosh. There you go. No, I'm not. Ah, come on. What do you mean? Yeah, yeah, take it for a spin. I can't take the car. Hey, you know something, grandson? 
Let me tell you a secret here. You're not a very good mover, really. But from the very beginning, I was doing this for you. It's yours. Have fun. Wow. Thank you. Start her up, come on. I don't even know what to say. Don't get any accidents, no speeding tickets. <laughs> Bye, you guys. Bye. <laughs> wow. You know, when you're not such a pain in the ass, you're pretty sweet guy. You think? So. Are you ready for this? Oh, God. I don't know, Camille. Me either. Whew. Yeah, that was, that made me cry, for sure. Yeah. I loved that it seemed to really wallop Miles Heiser. His reaction felt like it was happening on on the human level, not on the character level. When yeah. Like, wow. And he had tears in his eyes. He's like, Thank you. Yeah. And I thought, oh, you just got done in by Craig T. Nelson, didn't you? Like, <laughs> you just got it Nelson. It was Mae Whitman's turn in the junkyard, and now it's your turn. If, He's just going to put you through the ringer. If there's Craig T. Nelson and a car in the scene, you're in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you are done for. Done for. You know, uh, yeah, that exact line reading really got me, too. That was what made me cry was that wow like where you could tell that he was like choking back a cry like it yeah. was gosh the only thing that got me i was like why when you get out of the car and like hug them or something like it felt a li- like he was just in the car the whole time and then he's like bye <laughs> then just drives away <laughs> but i thought it makes sense like he's probably feeling awkward and so appreciative that he doesn't even know what to do with it you know and and so he just yeah but man, do you think Zeke really was intending that car for Drew the whole time? No, <laughs> I don't either. And yet I don't I don't like begrudge him saying that at yeah. all. No, but I wonder when he thought it was for him. I think when they were like, oh, we're for sure selling the house. I don't have any place to park this thing. OK, it's for Drew. <laughs> I You're might be right. right. Yeah, that's what I thought. But I don't know. I did think, though, it was a season long arc that really paid off it definitely did well not even just for that moment getting victor to work on the car like his essay winning the contest that it was fuel for that it made camille mad like that car really yeah it it, did a lot of work getting the grill from eugene was the only misstep the only misstep (laughs) yes agreed and then setting up in the new house like the backyard with the twinkle lights and the i was so happy about that it was a great final montage yeah and setting up in adam and christina's backyard felt like a really beautiful and natural passing of the torch and like like oh there's inherent drama and meaning in that i was though really overwhelmingly glad that this wasn't the series finale yeah even more so than previous seasons because like the show was definitely on the bubble again The series had seen a small bump up in the ratings during season four, which 
once I looked that up, I thought, well, maybe that's what led to season five being 22 episodes. If they thought like, oh, Parenthood is finally on an upswing. Word of mouth is catching on and we had this really strong season and it's building and it's growing. But the ratings went right back to where they had been mm-hmm. in season five. And when this episode aired, there was no renewal for another season. And this just didn't feel like a series finale to me. A- aspects of it did, like leaving the house and being in the backyard. And even Drew going off in the car gave me kind of Claire, Six Feet Under vibes. Oh, yeah, yeah. But then there were so many other things that there was no resolution about. It's like, what happened with the charter school? Did Joel and Julia get back together? Or are we just supposed to hope that there's that chance? Amber's going to have a baby? Uh, or or was it a false alarm? Why would the series finale devote so much time to Hattie yeah. coming out? Are we supposed to consider Drew and Natalie a series ending, <laughs> you know, union? Uh, Jasmine and Jabbar weren't even really in the episode. Uh, it yeah. just didn't feel like a proper series finale. Plus, we never found out what happened to Gilliam T. Blount. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, is he dead? I don't know. <laughs> just what happened to that guy? <laughs> when he dies, he <laughs> spends eternity in prom. <laughs> oh, I hate that word. <laughs> uh, yeah, you're totally right. As a right. season finale, I loved pretty much everything about it. I mean, we've mentioned our quibbles. Yeah. The song choice was very apt. Times they are changing. It yeah. really did feel like... New backyard, leaving the house behind, Hattie's gay. Oh, you were mentioning earlier, like, seeing Adam and Hattie Mm. connect in that final montage. And I noticed that the line of the song at that point was, your sons and your daughters are beyond your command. Wow, that's good. That's really good. That's fitting. Yeah. New chapters felt like the theme. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's obvious for a season finale, but... Certainly for Camille and Zeke and the selling of the house, really for the whole family. Yeah. Hattie's definitely in a new chapter. Joel and Julia, I hope, are. Yeah. Amber might be. Yeah. Hank and Sarah definitely are. Maybe Drew, too. I'm so excited for what Drew and Natalie are up to next season. It's all I can think about. That's. I can't wait. (laughs) Can you tell me now what happens with them? Oh my gosh, I love it. Well, what are your season five thoughts on the whole? I wrote some down. I feel like I almost never remember. Okay, I wrote down that the best storylines, in my opinion, were Julia Joel and Zeke and Camille, and that the worst was Drew and Natalie. Um, (laughs) Do you have like favorite storylines or least favorite? I don't think I put down a least favorite. Although it probably is Drew and Natalie. In terms of the amount of time it took up. Yeah. Because that really was like the whole season. Yeah. Which is a shock. Yeah. Oh, wait, I did put Drew's season-long arc was, with the exception of Amy's return, very uninvolving. Yeah. I did really enjoy Amy's return. I mean, I'm surprised at how much I really liked all the Drew-Amy stuff, not just this season, but the whole... Their, yeah. What made their relationship so much more compelling? I... It just didn't feel like it was about a bunch of games or something. It just felt like like people really connecting and going through it, you know, like just experiencing all kinds of like hardships together and ultimately not 
deciding to be together. But like him and Natalie, it was just a bunch of games getting together. And the resolution again is, oh, they're together now. I don't care. Yeah. 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 But I also agree. I thought Zeke and Camille's storyline was my favorite of the season. Those characters both felt like themselves in it. And there was no easy answer. Yeah. It was rooted in something very authentic and relatable. And it was a conflict that did not feel manufactured yeah. at all. Yeah. Agreed. Like, I was like, that is exactly what would happen with characters at this stage in their life. And knowing what we know about these characters, I believe Camille would want to move. And I believe that Zeke wouldn't. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. It all felt natural. Joel and Julia, I was a little in between about. Yeah. It was not as out of left field as I remembered from previous watches. But it, on the whole, it did still feel sort of sudden to me. And like I said earlier, I think if we had seen larger or more frequent disturbances in previous seasons, that it would have helped. Yeah. Or if their moments of peace weren't so idealized. Yes. That would have helped, that too. That probably would have helped, like I too. remember at the beginning of this season... When they like go to the site where Joel is going to build all these houses with Pete. Yeah. I mean, like they almost say like nothing can go wrong now. Yeah, it's, it's going to be, be a great year. year. <laughs> I'm like, well, okay, yeah, you're just foreshadowing this downfall. Yeah. But it was a very rich storyline, and the performances were excellent. Yeah. So I, yeah, it was probably like a B plus. Gotcha. For me. Yeah. I had a thought about Christina. Yeah. In this season. I remember not liking either of Christina's storylines in season five, the mayoral campaign or starting the charter school. But in our discussions, I feel like we justified both of them more than I remember when I watched them the first time. Yeah. Well, she's not a novice politician. We knew she worked in politics before she stayed at home. Yeah. Not as a candidate, but... It makes way more sense for her to run than anyone else on the show. Agreed. And then I didn't realize how easily charter schools are started. Yeah. Like that that's something people do often. Yeah. Okay, I didn't know. I guess it's not as outlandish as I thought. Look, Evan Knight with the, you know, PhD tried to tell you, okay? (laughs) Parents do this all the time. (laughs) But as I was thinking about why even after all of that are neither of them resonating with me I think maybe it's because they were both born out of a character trait that I don't admire much in Christina, which is a desire to prepare the world for her son rather than the other way around. Yes. I'm like, she wasn't running for mayor because of her impassioned political beliefs. It was only because of Max. Good point. And she wasn't starting the school because of her deep-rooted philosophy of education it was only because of max yeah and that may be harsh because like the world could certainly stand to improve in lots of areas and people who seek to change the world should be admired and they are courageous i just keep thinking like man i would love to see christina channel that same amount of energy into helping max as she does into these other outlets yes and i think he'd be better off if she did. Mm-hmm. Plus, it continues to frame Christina's character as almost solely defined by her child yes. rather than as a person unto herself. Yeah. Even though I have liked so much of Christina in this season. Me too. Like, I do feel like there has been a personality shift in the way she handles conflicts and things yeah. that I really dig. 
I just kind of wish she were doing other things with that new attitude. Well, it makes me think like when Adam and Crosby start the luncheonette, it's for them. It's not for anyone else. And they're, they're yeah. parents. But I, I do wonder if like sometimes men are allowed to be defined. Like they're allowed to just be their own people in a way that women sometimes aren't. And even when you get like the gender flip, like with Joel and Julia, it just brings up really interesting things. Like we feel bad that Joel doesn't have a hobby. Whereas we don't necessarily feel bad for any of the moms if they don't have a hobby because we expect yeah. a man to have a hobby, you know, or like that's interesting or, but yeah. Do you know where I'm going with that? Does that yeah. make sense? The way that like politicians or people in entertainment, men are asked, men aren't asked, how do you juggle work and family? Right. But women are. Yes, absolutely. Like, well, they're in theory, they're all juggling work yeah. and family if they have a job and a family. Yes. Absolutely. But only one of them gets asked about it. Yeah, totally. Overall, I generally feel like season five is the weakest season. I do too. Yeah, at least so far. I don't really remember if six goes above or below in my mind. My memory is that season six is actually quite uneven, but it earns so much emotional mm-hmm. investment because it's wrapping up the whole series. Right. That I think it ultimately comes out seeming stronger and it's shorter yeah which i think is actually to their benefit part of me wonders i remember this on my last rewatch of the whole series which was in 2015 wondering if i was just exhausted with the show by season five yeah like it's a very emotional show and then i was binging it very rapidly that's true and i thought man when you get into like the 80th episode and there's another scene meant to make you cry yeah it's a little like oh my gosh here we go again yeah but we're spacing it out this time, and that I think is good. So I think I had some other thoughts about maybe why it was weak. And I, I'm using weak relatively. Right. Because there were still so many high points, and I still think the quality of the show is very high. Yes. I just not affecting me as strongly as like season four and three. Yeah. Sarah's love life yeah. gets a bit tiresome, especially this far into the series. I'm over her being in triangles. And we've talked about that before, especially when the more I think about it, I'm just not sure about Hank's contribution to the show. Interesting. He's often a fascinating character, but I also sometimes think maybe he belongs to a different show. (laughs) Yeah, He's just not part of the DNA of parenthood. He's not as hopeful, you know, he's like really cynical and yeah. And that, is sort of related to another thought I had, which is I felt like there was a lot of time with guest stars in this season. Mm -hmm. Hank, Ryan, Ed, Pete, Natalie, Oliver. I mean, there always are guest stars. The Bravermans can't just interact with each other, even though we joke that that they they do do so much. (laughs) But it's like, careful what you wish for, because as we've discussed, there's times it felt like we were spending a lot of time with outsiders as opposed to our own characters. And as I said before, like literally what did Jasmine do? Not just in this episode, because she did nothing in this episode. All season. I I had three things that she did. She nagged Crosby to buy a minivan. She nagged him to move in with his parents. And then she got her daughter baptized. Yeah. And I was like, but boy, they wasted Joy Bryant this season. They did. And Tyree Brown a bit too. I mean, what did Jabbar do? He did ballet. And that was like kind of it. 
And we've discussed how Crosby was not his best. No, season. Crosby. That whole family oh, really. Yeah. No, that I I hope Crosby gets some sort of return to, you know, his former self in the next season because I'm like, god, if this is what he goes out on, not great. And it's sort of sad cuz it really took like a beloved character and like just made him a cartoon or something, a stereotype. A cliche. Yeah. Oh, I guess Jasmine had a baby this season too. But you know, I it felt like it was in the background. Yeah, it was. Everything And was. it was more about how Cro- how tired Crosby was. And how he wasn't bonding with the baby. Yeah. yeah. It's yeah, it's really disappointing. I agree. And you know, she has such like speaking of guest stars I wish we'd seen more of, wasn't Renee only in like one episode in Seku as well? The baptism I think one? So the baptism one. Yeah. I, if I'm remembering correctly, that's it. And I think I looked it up, and that baptism episode, I think, was Brooklyn McGlynn's last episode of Seiko. I don't think he Ugh. appears again. And that sucks, because, like, they have a great dynamic, and I at least am glad that that must mean that Renee will be around again next season. She's the best. She's so good. And, yeah, I just feel like, Give, that's all Jasmine gets. I mean, it's interesting that we have met her relatives and we haven't met like Christina's or Joel's, but Christina and Joel get other things to do and Jasmine yeah. doesn't. So if her family's gone, that means Jasmine is really faded in the background. She's not doing anything. Yeah. yeah. And like not to infer any motives to this, but like you can't help but notice that the only black character is like the most underserved right. character on the show. You can't help but notice that. It's like, even if it's unintentional, ooh, it's really a bad look. Yeah. Intention versus impact. You know, you, what's the impact? Yeah. yeah it's not good. And she's great. It's it'd be one thing if like, well, yeah, but every time they give Joy Bryant a big dramatic scene, she just totally whiffs it. It's like, no, no, she always is spectacular. She's so good. Yeah. And it's like, not like, oh, I just can't bear to look at her. <laughs> I was it's about to make the same either, joke. You know? Yeah. Well, and it's part of what bothers me. I remember like if, if we're ever talking about race and somebody's like, ugh, stop talking about race. It's so obnoxious. Crosby's wife is black and he has black kids. So like, we're good. And I'm like, such a gross <laughs> comment by the way like oh okay you're right we our work here is done we don't need to do anything else because black characters exist on the show but like your argument really like doesn't hold water if they are relegated to the background and that's it you're banking all you're placing the entire weight of representation on jasmine that's not fair you know it's not fair at all so and like the only black characters on the show didn't speak in what could have been the series finale. Yeah, that's terrible. That's it could have been an accident, but that's a horrible accident. Horrible and you got to ask yourself, how did you arrive there? Yeah. How did you let yourself? Well, they've got nothing to do. <laughs> Whose fault is that? Who's giving them stuff to do? It's you. Yeah. You know? Think of something, anything. Yeah. And then Amber's engagement was another big chunk of the season, and that was tough to watch, but I thought ultimately it was one of the better arcs of the season. Yeah. It did feel like a nice way of showing a sort of two steps forward, one step back maturation for Amber, because she is still very young. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And she can't just become a brilliant adult overnight. And I think Mae Whitman has such a depth to her yeah. inherently. And she is a little older yeah. than she's playing. Not a lot. But it's easy to be like, oh, Amber's just this like old soul. But you think back to season one and season two. Like, no, she's a teenager and she's kind of messy and she's yeah. volatile and she's figuring stuff out. This felt like a nice way of showing her more stable. But yeah, she did get in over her head yeah. with the engagement. And she handled it exactly like one would expect a 21-year-old yes. to. <laughs> yes. And so it, it did feel believable. And Meg Whitman is just incredible as always. As always. Yeah. Yeah, I really felt those episodes. Um, the rewatch has also taught me, like, I remember really liking Ryan. And I still do. But he's a lot more complicated than I remember. And yeah. boy, their relationship really does remind me of that old relationship of mine. And so it's sometimes very difficult to watch. I'm just like, mm. oh, yeah. But yeah, beautifully done, both of them. And it also provided Sarah with a good storyline that didn't involve her love life. Yes. That involved her parenting and like, when do you say something and when do you not? Yeah. That is a really great thorny parenting issue. Yeah, that was... I I almost wonder if, like, the beginning of the season might have been stronger than the end. I I don't know. Like, even Drew and Natalie didn't bug me in the beginning. Like, when he's trying to, like, tell her that he likes her and she's, you know, not sure she wants a relationship. It just started to get so drawn out that it was ridiculous. But, like, I think the initial concept of a woman wanting casual and the man wanting something more serious that could be interesting i mean i, th- I think it yeah. had potential and you know this episode i will say i thought they were kind of cute the two of them and i'm like they've just it's kind of like you break up ross and rachel enough i don't care anymore you know like no matter yeah. like i don't think it's those actors fault like they're real cute together it's just ugh, no you wore my patience out getting them there and so now could not care less so yeah yeah Did you have a favorite episode of the season? I did write one down and I was really torn because now that I'm talking to you, I'm like, oh, maybe it was one of the earlier ones, but I wrote just like at home. And I think it was mostly for the the sibling sleepover. I I just, I really loved all that stuff. I thought that was beautiful and really felt like parenthood in a way that I don't think the show really felt like itself for a lot of the season. I think some of the things we're talking about. Yeah. I felt like their sleepover had some of the magic that the earlier seasons maybe had a little more of. So, yeah. Yeah. What about you? I had two. I found it really hard to remember at at this point. They're all (laughs) blurring together so much. And, you know, so I was going back and looking at notes and saying, what exactly happened here? But anyway, they were 508, the ring, Mm. which had Victor being held back yeah, and had Amber giving back the ring to yeah. Ryan and Jabbar loving ballet. Oh yeah. And then Christina and Amber weighing whether or not to dredge up their Bob Little dirt. Oh yes. That was good. So I liked that episode, that one or five eleven promises, which was where Zeke befriended Rocky for one episode. Yeah. And then Julia lying to Joel about Ed after the school auction. Yeah. And Sarah going to the fundraiser with Carl. And then Hank telling her that he may have autism. Yeah. That was a really good one, too. That was fantastic. 
And, you know, one of the drawbacks of season five might be its length. Yeah. Because when I think about these specific episodes and specific moments, boy, there's lots of highlights. Mm -hmm. And it's just to sustain that. Yeah. And fill it with enough other stuff that feels of the same caliber for that long is very hard. Yeah. Good point. And I do remember like season two is the only other season of this length. It also really felt like there was a first half and a second half. Yeah. Like first half was Gordon and Sarah Uh, working at the shoe place. And it's like, well, that's not exactly gold. No. But the second half of that season was Hattie and Alex and Crosby sleeping with Gabby. Yeah. And then we got into some much richer stuff explaining to Max that he has autism. Like, yeah. Yeah. That was End of season two was strong. Yeah. Really strong. I actually ranked the seasons so far, although maybe I should wait until after the entire show to do this. But all right, whatever. Um, I really debated, but I ultimately went with three, four, two, one, five. I think I would agree. Yeah? How about that? Yeah. Yeah. The trickiest one, I think, is the top two. Yeah. And I think we've discussed this when we did these seasons, like... Four is maybe stronger in like a heavier handed way. Yeah. And it's so intense. Yes. Sometimes it's like unrelenting. Yes. Yeah. And season three balances its drama and its levity very well. Yeah. I just really, I think I enjoy the show the most season three. Like I just loved it. And I don't think that it has like as many weak spots or something like season two is amazing in the second half, but yeah, it took longer yeah. getting there than I remembered and everything. So yeah, I think, I think I feel good about that. Yeah. Season three is just my favorite kind of like I, I've been mentioning Buffy a lot tonight for some reason, but a lot of people think that that show got better as it went. And I, I actually think that's even true, but it got so mired in tragedy. <laughs> like It was just <laughs> like, Oh, and I really loved seasons two and three, which were like in the high school. It was established. Season one wasn't its best. It was kind of weak. But seasons two and three, oh my gosh, so fun. And it just really felt like itself. Uh, And then it just got very serious. And I think that's how I feel about Parenthood as well. Like I really loved, you know, maybe she should end up with Hank. I don't know. But like... (laughs) and Mark like season three just banter 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 and then their conflict is is uh Seth coming back and god that's good like just the whole the whole season is amazing but it's weird we should probably wrap up by talking about the season that just ended (laughs) so yeah well as you mentioned I think a few episodes ago about whether or not it was going to be the series finale or season finale yeah in that same ATX panel Jason Kadams addressed that very issue. Uh, I'm pleasantly surprised every year by what Jason does uh, with the stories on the show and with these characters. And I got nervous watching this episode uh, when it first came out on TV because I thought, like, well, that kind of leaves it at a place where the network could very easily say, like, well, yeah. it's a nice ending to a series. <laughs> but yeah, uh, we, were, we were, I think we were, I, you know, honestly... The last three season finales of the show, people have said to me, is the show over? Every, you know, every, every season finale, people, I think, for some, for whatever reason, felt like there was a finality or a sense of the show being over. And uh, I never 
intended it that way. I think it's it's part of the nature of the show that you know you have all these you know sort of storylines and you they just naturally come to a catharsis at the end and they they feel finished. I think this year, honestly, I, I was hedging my bets a little bit because I really you know this this season was the more than any other one. I I, I didn't know whether the show was going to come back. I you know we always were not really sure but this year I I thought there was a good chance we wouldn't come back and when I was just watched this again the 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 thing that made me really know I was hedging my bets was the scene when you played uh, baseball play pepper because my my oldest friend in the world who I played baseball with my our parents well, our dads would take us out from the time we were three years old for the entire series of the show has been emailing me petitioning for you got to have Zeke play Pepper with them. And so I knew when I saw it, when I remembered, oh, yeah, the Pepper scene is in there, I was like, yeah, I was hedging my bets. Oh, that's that's super interesting. Yeah. I didn't know what Pepper was, but I was like, oh, it's some baseball thing. <laughs> I, don't know. I don't either. But luckily, they were renewed for Yay. a sixth season, and they knew that it would be their last. So important. So important. And so glad yeah. to go into it knowing I mean, I, I do remember like almost legit anxiety <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, watching the show. Like, is this it? Is this it? And then year after year after year of feeling that way and just going into it knowing, okay, they're going to wrap it up yeah, and we'll know for sure. Yes. Yep. Absolutely. And that means only one more season of Parenthood Pals. I know. It's crazy. Just 13 more. 13 more. How many have we done? Have you done the math? There are 103 episodes, and we did The Luncheonette as well. And the movie. Oh, and the movie. So 105. Minus 13. So that's 92. Wow. We've done 90? We have done 92 episodes. That's amazing. I love that. Look at us. I feel like... That's a lot of content we shout out. <laughs> it's so much. <laughs> so much shouting. <laughs> I'm so tired. <laughs> but I love it. No, it makes me really happy. I love thinking of it like a time capsule. It's awesome. I love it. But yeah, it kind of seems impossible. And yet, I don't know. And yet here we are. I know. Here we are. And I, yeah, I was talking to Mark just yesterday on our walk. I was like, talking about all the times that we'd be all freaked out about the pandemic and then we would be like, okay, let's record. And then it would help. We would feel better, you know? Yeah. And now we're like talking about how insanely busy we are before we get on and record. It's like really a time capsule. Like it just, things are changing. They're changing for us too. The times they are the changing. The times they are changing. <laughs> for us as well. So. And pals, you've been with us this whole time, which is incredible. If you've made it this far, you got to go 13 more. That's right. You're almost done. Home stretch. Pepper. I don't know. Is that a... <laughs> <laughs> so. Well, we look forward to bringing you this last season. I think it's going to be good. We won't tell you what we've got planned. We've got some plans. But we've got some plans. Everyone, please do follow us on social media, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. And please leave us um, a review. Send us an email. Makes our day. You can check us out, as always, at our website, parenthoodpals.com. Until next and last season, uh, may God bless and keep you always. And may your wishes all come six. Whoa! <laughs> 
Merry wishes all come true.